0: You are listening to the podcast for Nerdy Christians, a show for progressive followers of Jesus who also happen to love Hogwarts, hobbits, and being digested by gelatinous cubes. This is season three, episode eight, Dungeons and Dragons: Exercising the Divine Imagination. I'm Carrie Combs, and I'm very happy to be sitting across the internet from Adam Thomas. Hey, Adam.
1: Hey, Carrie. I am excited to talk about Dungeons and Dragons today because this has. Uh, gobbled up an increasingly large portion of my non-work time over oh, the I'm last sure. couple of years. Uh, I started playing D and D in 2015 after getting into it via critical role as so many people have, mm-hmm. uh, I started watching critical role when it was brand new first on geek and sundry and, uh, just loved, loved it from the very first minute of it and said, why haven't I been doing this my entire life? Cause this <laughs> sure. is who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Uh, the fifth edition of the game had just come out and I'm really glad I waited till fifth edition because it streamlined a lot of things It made the entry a lot easier into the process. Um, But uh, Dungeons and Dragons is something that you and I bonded over and I'm happy to be talking about it with you today and with somebody else.
0: Today we have our second ever guest, As a bivocational priest, Nicholas Combs serves as priest in charge at Trinity Episcopal Church in Torrington, Connecticut, and as a sales rep at Class Cycles Bicycle Shop in Southbury, CT. A native of Idaho, Nick met and married his next-door neighbor, me, that's me, in seminary. She then dragged him back home to Connecticut, and he's been a reluctant nutmegger ever since. A lifelong nerd in denial, D&D is the sweet, overlapping middle of the Venn diagram of Nick's interests in math, storytelling, creativity, and silliness. In his spare time, he enjoys building and flying model remote control airplanes, trying to win the affection of his English Cocker Spaniel, studying D&D modules, and building encounters. Welcome, Nick, husband of mine, to the show. Thank
2: you. It's good to be here with Carrie across the internet from Adam.
0: I've wanted to have you on the show, obviously, for a while. As, As it says in the intro, you are a nerd in denial, and I feel like one of the great gifts I've brought to your life as your wife has been to introduce you to the world of nerdery and to really see you uh, blossom in that. So I had wanted Nick to play D&D for a while. I'd started in Adam's game about two years ago and six months later at Christmas, I sent a panic text to Adam saying, Nick is reading the player's handbook. What do I do? Help, help. And Adam very graciously uh, did a one-shot encounter with Nick and I um, as players and with Nick kind of as like the, the star of it. I was more of a supporting role. and. Ever since then, Nick has taken off as a DM buyer of lots of dice and books and minis and terrain.
1: <laughs> a few dice. Just a few. When I, I ran the one shot for Carrie and Nick a couple of years ago, and I remember Carrie looking at Nick kind of side eye the whole time, like... Is he having fun? Is this fun for him? I don't know he's if he's like having Is fun. He gonna like <laughs> Is he going to like it? Is he going to like it? And it's tough though, because when you, when you are a nerd, you know, it means you're passionate about something. Mhm. And you hope that your partner might share some of those same passions. Maybe not all of them, because that's probably not going to happen. But the ones that really are near and dear to your heart, it'd be wonderful to have your partner as as I am with mine. Uh, we do overlap on a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. And so it was really fun to, to be part of Nick's uh, entry into the world of Dungeons and & Dragons.
0: And he has guest starred in the game that you and I talk about a lot, the one that you DM. And then recently he's started up a game with our... I'm sorry, we're talking about you like you're not here. (laughs) I'm looking at you as I talk. Uh, You started up a game with some folks in our hometown that's moved online since the pandemic. And then most recently, you have another game that Adam actually gets to play in. So there's a lot of um, overlapping games and roles um, to the point where last week, Nick and I played three nights in a row as he ran two games and then we played it both in your game. Um, And it's wonderful. I'm a player, so I benefit from knowing and um, being close with two wonderful DMs. I get to play a lot of characters. I love trying on those roles and learning about myself in the process. And I don't have to do as much work as all of you, but you like that work, I guess.
1: So Nick, do you want to read our scripture quote for us? The scripture reading today is from Amos 5 verses 8 through 9.
2: The one who made the Pallades and Orion, and turns deep darkness into the morning, and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea, and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name.
0: And our nerd quote from today is from designer Mike Merles in the preface to the 5th edition Player's Handbook. Playing D&D is an exercise in collaborative creation. You and your friends create epic stories filled with tension and memorable drama. You create silly in-jokes that make you laugh years later. The dice will be cruel to you, but you will soldier on. Your collective creativity will build stories that you will tell again and again, ranging from the utterly absurd to the stuff of legend.
1: We talk about uh playing DD. so what is DD? we'll do this real quick uh, dnd is an exercise in shared storytelling that also has some rule components and some dice rolling so that the fate of the dice or chance can help uh, a story take new directions that might be unexpected uh, dungeons and dragons has been around since the 1970s the original uh uh, the original Dungeons and Dragons came out in 1974 and has gone through several iterations over the course of its several decades of history. The fifth edition of the game came out in 2014, and it's it really exploded since then with online streaming and um, other things to uh, make it more accessible to more and more people. And I think the reason that it's become so huge lately is as a reaction against Uh, living our lives on the internet and social media Mm. because when you're sitting face to face with somebody around a table you're sharing this i mean obviously we do it online because we have to Mm -hmm. but we're still we're still face to face but if you are able and lucky enough to sit around a table rolling dice with actual sheets of paper in front of you uh, and and laughing with your friends it's this antidote to uh, that anonymity of the internet
0: that's a good point. I think one of the things I've realized as a player is D and D builds intimacy, it builds trust, vulnerability, and creativity, and all of those are really important in the life of faith. So to the point where, despite the satanic panic of the what eighties when parents were thinking playing Dungeons and Dragons was a uh, pathway to your child's soul being lost, D and D has actually made me a stronger Christian and a more faithful person in general.
1: So Nick, how is Dungeons and Dragons? supported your priesthood your your vocation your faith life
2: so that's a a huge question um, that invites a huge answer Uh, so we'll see how far we can get or how far I can get before I just totally go off the rails go for it Uh, the single biggest thing that I've really been giving a lot of thought to for the last couple of years um, in part in playing D&D being the priest of a, an Episcopal church in Connecticut, just how important imagination and creativity is to faith and really any spiritual practice, uh, it actually almost uh, frightens me a little bit just how strong the link between those two things is, hmm. um, to the point that uh, I'm beginning to suspect, and I know it's a big thing to say, but without imagination, there is no faith. Um, it's almost like, uh, to use d terminology, you know, with COVID and at least in my parish, we're not um, uh, participating in the Holy Eucharist. It's just morning prayer, which is just spoken prayer. It's not a lot of movement. Um, so it's very theater of the mind church. Um, So to to speak, uh, where everyone just kind of has to imagine. And as you, um, uh, you know, as as you read the prayers and it mentions something about stars or the end times or great pillars of smoke or or great darkness, um, if you just kind of let the words fall dead, it kind of feels like a colossal waste of time. If you can get yourself to a space where um, something in your imagination unlocks and you almost get transported there ever so briefly... And and that tells us something about God that suddenly becomes a very enriching um, experience. Um, and like playing D and so I'm just talking about church, but whatever. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're sitting in the pew, the whole theater of the mind, you can be very engaged and have a, a tremendous experience that might not look like much to the outside. Or you can sit there and you know whatever, check it off your list and, and go on to the next thing.
1: The concept of imagination is really important here. Uh, I've always loved the link between imagination and image. And when we think about being made in the image and likeness of God, I've always thought of the likeness being something a- around our, our souls and our eternity, whereas the image is about the creativity. The, imag- the image is what allows us to imagine and to create. Uh, And if, if God is a creative being, then because we are made in the image of likeness of God, we are also creative beings and our imagination is what allows us to be creative. And Dungeons and Dragons is one of those wonderful gifts to the world that has, that allows us to be creative together in a space of shared storytelling. And as we've said several times in this podcast, storytelling is at the heart of humanity and also at the heart of religion.
0: Well, it engages our creativity in a way that I think a lot of our uh, no no knocks against TV and movies, but those don't require as much imagination as something like D does or even video games to the point where you put yourself in a story. I mean, we'll be sitting <laughs> at the ages of, you know, 25 to four however old our, our group is sitting around the internet late at night, just playing pretend. in a a way that I haven't done since I was a child. I mean, we might, especially in Adam's games, we might get one or two dice rolls in a night if we're not doing a combat encounter. And the fact that we just live in another person's head, not only is it building creativity, it also builds empathy in a lot of ways, um, all of which are really important. And as the church changes and has to adapt to a, to a rapidly changing world, particularly in the pandemic. But even before then, we have to be imaginative because we can't just rely on the way things have been for a long time. Instead, we're being called to a new way of being and that requires imagination and exi- in um, exercising that divine creativity that each of us has been gifted as creatures made, as you said, in the likeness and image of God.
1: When you talk about playing pretend, I, I watch my six-year-old twins playing pokemon in their brains or or running around you know being anything really mm-hmm. and i think to myself i want to play DD with them but they don't need it
0: they don't yeah they're they're doing it right now yeah, they don't need they the, are and the, playing, the they are
1: playing DD. they don't need the dice they they are completely in another world and for D is brilliant because it allows older children teenagers and adults to access that space
0: and it is amazing kind of like when when you're engaged in a very meaningful worship service and your whole imagination and creativity is engaged with that sometimes I get to the end of a DND session it's like waking up from a dream I suddenly we all log off of zoom and all of a sudden I'm back in my house alone or with Nick next to me the same thing happens at the end of more you know our online morning prayer that I do I log out of zoom and suddenly that community that was so present and so visceral to me almost without being physically close Um, has vanished because you're able to enter that space really deeply. And so much of what we do on this podcast is, you know, theological meditation on everyday things like the books we love and the movies we watch. And that's another way that, you know, D and D is can engage that theological imagination that makes us stronger.
2: You know, what, what Carrie was saying about, you know, it encourages um, imagination. I would actually push that further and say it like forces us to, I'm trying to think of, of all of the sort of passive ways that we can try to imagine things. Um, I think of listening to a story or, or a speech. There's something different about playing a game where a scene is set, things are, are happening, and then you are asked, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, forces yeah. you, it's fun, but it also really kind of forces you to kind of go there. And I remember when I first started playing, just how um, familiar, but also kind of new and strange and really cool that felt. Um, and imagination, I think, is like a muscle, like so many things are, and it's actually a great way of, uh, you know, it, it gets stronger with time. Um, I feel like my own imagination has gotten stronger and more resilient, um, which I've really needed <laughs> to get through, uh, you know, this this whole time during, during COVID. Um, another piece that was hit on, maybe we'll circle back to it. One of the really cool things and notable things about DD that we've 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 hit on but haven't nailed it directly. And that is um, you can't play DD by yourself. Hmm. You can read about it, um, you can build puzzles, you can build encounters, you can read lore, you can read rules, you can memorize the rules. Um, I don't want to admit to anyone how much time I've spent doing those things. But, uh, uh,
1: you can you can create endless characters, just never play them. You know, whole whole civilizations that your
2: players are like, eh, whatever, um, and they leave it behind. You know, all all of these things, but but it doesn't actually come to life. None of it is anything on its own. It's it's like this this thing that you come together with other people and together using that you create something. That is like wholly new, different. Oh, it can be so many, so many different things.
1: It's that's true. It's interesting because that's actually how I describe preaching, because there's the sermon, which is the thing you either wrote down or you thought a lot about. But it's not a, it's not preached until, until you're in the moment of saying it out loud and having it hit other people's ears and the interaction in that moment. That's the preaching moment. And it's the same thing where I can't just if I just say the sermon to myself, I mean, it might it might speak to me because I I, I wrote it and usually I need to hear what I'm saying. Sure, right. Sure. But there's something incredibly special about the moment in which you're having that interaction with other people. And, and we we hope and we believe that the Holy Spirit is carrying those words from your mouth to the ears of of the listeners and down into their hearts. Uh, Yeah. And so there's that collaboration in preaching that's, that's also at the heart of Dungeons and Dragons.
0: We've talked about this before, railing against this sort of individualism that you and I at least have talked about on this podcast in a lot of some, some types, some forms of American Christianity. Church can't be done alone. We don't just have a one-to-one singular personal relationship with God, although we do have a very intensive personal relationship. We exercise that in community with other people. You can't have Holy Eucharist just alone, in our tradition at least. It requires a community that is gathered. And I think of like Nick said, you know, you can't play D&D alone. Well, you can't do church. You can't preach without other people around. And that kind of like a DM creating an encounter or even a whole world, you can do all the thinking ahead of time. And then you hand it to people or you present it to people and they do with it what they want. Um, And luckily you two are both good at not railroading your players. So we might... Come close to something and then just be like, no, we're going to go over here. And that might frustrate you as DMs, I'm sure, because there's a lot of thought put into it. But it makes the players feel so incredibly liberated um, and like you are truly exploring a, a wide, vast, infinite place.
1: So, just a couple of terms Carrie just used for those of you oh, who sure. aren't DD people DM stands for dungeon master. Uh, outside of, of the DD world, that is often called a game master, that's the person who creates the world. Uh, and who is every character in the game and the environment except for the player characters. Like the Basically, facilitator. If you, yeah, if you think of like a video game system, um, the DM is the disc of the game and the system that it's placed into. Whoa. And the player is the is the person holding the remote. Whoa. Holding the controller. It blew um, my mind. And it's super fun because unlike a video game, which is programmed by somebody to do a certain amount of things, the dungeon master with a human brain can react to absolutely anything the player throws, which is one of the things that makes this game so, so amazing and fun is that it is improvisation. Mm-hmm. 100% improvisation. And being uh, people of faith, a lot of what we're called to do is improvis- improvisatory. You know, we we're is that a word? Improvisation? Sounds Sorry. good. I've made up words on this podcast before. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be um, the first time. And imagination has a lot to do with improvisation as well, because if you can't if you can't engage your imagination in that moment of creativity, then you're just going to continue to rehash what you already know and what you've always done and Mm. just continue to wear down those same neural pathways. But imagination, creativity, improvisation, and collaboration, all of which D&D supports, help to open up new neural pathways
0: it's kind of like knowing the catechism and then living it, right? You can know the rules of D&D through and through, but really making it your own and taking that story, you know, using the rules as a, as a structure and a framework, but then launching beyond that, uh, I imagine it's kind of like really living out faith. You can have your, your answers down pat, but really being able to live them out, to express them in different ways that are your own, that's where faith deepens and grows.
2: Um, I don't know how you guys play video games, even the sandbox ones, but I always like find the edge of it and try to, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> work jump around them the edge. Into skyrim. And <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. And then you reach a point. It's like, you can't go there. Um, you Why know, not? In D&D, it's like, I want to jump off the edge of the world. And it's like, all right, let's go there. Um, just a very different, uh, very different feeling. You mentioned preaching, Adam. I think uh, being a DM and learning a little bit about how players and really everyone's brain works in the creative process, I think it's actually informed my preaching a lot. There's a way in which we want people to imagine as a dungeon master, as a preacher. I think to over um, over articulate. For example, in a game, you know, you go into a house. It's good to mention that it's a house. It's good to mention a couple of things, mm-hmm. but it's also good not to mention too much. Sure. Yeah. And and, and sort yeah. of create space for people's own imagination to fire. You know, and what you actually sort of create is this um, there's a lot of imagination happening that you don't have to all do as, as the dungeon master, or the game master. You're getting the players and then they're imagining this really cool thing um, that if you're lucky, they'll give you credit for it and they'll, <laughs> think that you're, they'll think you're really cool. Um, and I've had this happen happen in preaching. You know, someone's like, oh, I was transported to this place. And I was like, good for you. I've got no idea what you saw because what I gave you was pretty bare bones. Um, but that's that's its own skill and something I learned.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting because I'm remembering a a moment uh, in one of my games where, speaking of going into a house, the players had a, a arrived on this deserted island, and they go into this house and the table is set. And but the but the thing that they keyed in on was the only other element that I mentioned in the whole room was that there was a stuffed bear face down on the hearth. Those were the only two details I gave.
0: Right. Just giving the bare bones and the basic, a couple key details that then we fill out. I just reread um, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline because Ready Player Two just came out anyway. And they were ta- they're were going back to one of the old text adventure games and they talk about this exact same phenomenon. He's, you know, a, a one or two sentence text-based game where each room has a very bare description allows the imagination um, to fill in the rest and make it a lot more immersive to the point where we might think of Dungeons and Dragons on paper and pen, being very primitive or simple. um, There's no flashy art, unless Nick's doing a Roll20 campaign, in which case there's a lot of fancy art and maps, but you can have all of it be in theater of the imagination, theater of the mind, and we fill in the rest. And so it's gonna be different for every person, but therefore it's going to feel the most authentic and real.
1: So I'm wondering if we can maybe shift a little bit, and Carrie, if you want to talk about a couple of your characters and how they have, yeah, sort of how have how how has your imagination grown around these characters that you've created?
0: That's um, that's a great question. As as the consummate player of this trio, um, not really doing a lot of dungeon mastering myself, but mostly playing as player characters, I think I've now created five or six characters. Um, the first one I created was my dwarf bard Emric, who is now level what, twelve or thirteen in Adam's game, and 12. he is not—he's not levels probably soon thirteen, be, probably thirteen by the time 13.
1: this comes out, though.
0: Oh yes, good. That's good to know. It's coming down the pike. Um, really can't wait to get those seventh-level spells. Emric is not very different from me. He's not—he was my first character, so he's kind of like a little bit of a cardboard cutout. I feel like I got to explore a lot more of facets of my own personality, both in terms of what was similar to me between my characters and I and what was very different and places to grow. So my, my half orc death cleric grave domain cleric Kaori um, I created her for Nick's curse of Strahd campaign. And she is similar to me a lot of ways has like a, A very kind of idyllic wonderful childhood with a little bit of like loneliness and I don't fit in which is all totally typically me a lot of my characters actually have kind of idyllic childhoods um but then she's she has a lot more her arc was a lot about dealing with her own anger and that through her I got to exercise my own anger whereas my halfling uh monk of the drunken master uh Andy Coriander she um she's a lot more swaggery than I am. So playing her and trying to get into her imagination, it, I get to I get to learn a little bit of her confidence, a little bit of her assurance. And then my most well, I made the weird sock puppet bar, which I won't talk about here because he's too strange. But my final character is uh the Duchess agnieszka I, she's got a very long name and she's in the most recent. You
2: make us all hear the name and often enough, but I think that everyone on the podcast Her
0: Grace Agnieszka Amelia Marguerite von Zoldevegheg. Duchess of the Green Glass Mountains, and she's a gnome necromancer who I want to play an old character. I want to play a character. So she's like 380 years old, the end of her gnomish life. And she's fun to play because she teaches me a kind of friendly cynicism that I don't often have, but I like to imagine the world. If I was a 380 something year old gnome, what would I think of this? Um, I was way too much about my characters. I love them all. And because they're all facets of me, so it helps... I get to see parts of myself taken out and expanded or explored. And then I do deeply love them all um, to the point where I could talk about them all the time. (laughs) So thank you for asking about my D and D characters.
2: (laughs) You're welcome. That reminds me of one of my favorite moments. Um, One of the uh, young adults, I guess she is now at my church joined us for a game. We ran a a one shot that actually you guys I think Carrie played in two versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a uh, almost like a parody of, of going up to heaven and it was really fun to play kind of the really dumb angels um how how they were portrayed. but anyway, there was this moment where the party's being attacked by this frog with the unicorn horn on it and it's it's all very silly, but also things were tense. and um this uh this, this young woman who goes to my parish had this moment of she said, well, I'm a chicken, but Luce loose is brave. and so it was just fun to watch her. Um, You can almost like see it on her face as she was like trying on this new courageous identity that she didn't think she had, but she could sort of play it out.
1: I love that you bring that up, Nick, around trying on facets of identity, Uh, because if you read about the way that D&D has uh, impacted people's lives, if you look at at articles on the Internet and, and various places, you'll see Dungeons and Dragons being used in therapy. You'll see it being used in, for folks that, are, um, that, that have dementia, for people on the autism spectrum, uh, as they are learning to uh, understand interactions in life. And doing it in a safe space. Uh, I actually kickstarted something called Critical Core, which I'm looking forward to getting, at some point, which is about that. That it's designed specifically for people on the autism spectrum, uh, and so this is the type of thing where it's it's more than a game in a way because it's really a way of. Um, we joke that our game, Carrie, has become a text message chain that sometimes plays D&D.
0: Right. Which, you know, maybe I mute it for days on end. Yeah. <laughs> which, which,
1: which, is, which, which, Which really just shows, you know, the friendships that can grow mm-hmm. out, of, out of playing a game. Um, and a part of that has to do with those facets of identity that you're trying on. That as a group together, you're experimenting on how to be human. And you might not be human in the game. You might be a eight foot tall Goliath or a bird person or a cat person or an elf or whatever. Uh, And yet you're always bringing something of yourself to the character. And it might be a smaller element of your own, of of your personality that you want to explore some more. And you probably don't even realize you're doing it in the moment. It just happens. But we started a new uh, a new campaign with
2: new characters, and I didn't realize how much I got to know people as their character, um, because as people are trying on new identities with different quirks, different strengths, different philosophies of life, it's just a moment. Wait a minute, that's not you. You can't. Oh wait, you're uh, (laughs) you're playing a different character.
0: Oh, and so Nick, I know you as a DM because of the the required energy and time and creativity. You do. A lot of wonderful work based off of modules. Modules
1: um, being the Dungeons and Dragons term for a, a pre-generated campaign that they publish. That Wizards of the Coast, the company, publishes.
0: But Adam, you homebrewing the world that you've written so many novels in, and you know, done two now. Well, finished one campaign. Are currently engaged in two others. Creating Sularil for you has been an extremely important part of your fate's development. Will you tell more about that?
1: As the dungeon master. I As I said before, I play every other element of the world, which means I have been hundreds of people over the course of games, villains, uh, allies, building this world. I didn't realize how much I was centered in the concept of whiteness when I built Suleril. I built Suleril in 2015, and I didn't start to really interrogate my own uh, my own interactions with uh, race and racism and white supremacy until about 2017. And so I had, I had been building Sularil for about a year and a half to two years before I started reading books about anti-racism and started re- and started really doing a lot of intensive personal study and also um, study of the world and, and history and so forth. And what I realized is that when I created Suluril, I created kind of a, a, a world that had absolutely no conception of um, any other experience besides a white experience. And, and not so much that I had even thought about it. And that's sort of the white experience is not really thinking about other experiences.
0: Right. Just thinking that you're the, you're the, the the, that default.
1: Yeah. There's this default. And so the humans in my world, well, what is their skin color? I don't know. I assume, you know, because in my brain it's white. You know, and so then I started thinking, okay, wait, where do they come from? And how did they get there? And who are these people? And, and what, what is there, you know, this isn't, this isn't the real world. Why would skin color be a determinant uh, of any type of, of, of injustice in this world? What would be? considered what, what would be that if I was going to have an analog for racism in my world, what would it be? And it ended up being um, half elves were mm-hmm. were discriminated against. Um, and I had a character in the game who was playing a half elf and, and he kept running into this discrimination. And this is a, a white man. And it was really fascinating watching him deal with that. And then in our game, Carrie, one of our characters is also a half elf. And, and uh, unlike this other guy I was just talking about, uh, that 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 character alarel just takes it head on. She oh, says, absolutely. "No, I'm not gonna. I'm not taking this 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 gruff here. I'm not. I'm not gonna deal with this. I'm just gonna turn into a panther and you know rip your throat <laughs> out." Uh, Actually,
0: <laughs> happened which, many which times. has
1: happened before. Um, but but anyway, going back to the world building, as I've gotten deeper into the world, but also into my own stuff, um, I've been trying. More and more to open up the game world to lots and lots of different experiences, different identities, different cultures, and trying to bring in my, uh, bring in inspiration from lots of different sources. And it's broadening me as a person because I'm trying to live into all of these different perspectives within the within the world.
0: And it broadens the world as well by allowing more people to be able to visualize themselves in it. Um, We talked about this with when Rowan was our guest star on introducing, you know, kind of like the elves as being non-binary and the sort of expressions of gender that come about because of it. And that all came about because Rowan wanted to play a a non-binary character and that led to this development on of your culture of elves. Um, If you think about it, fantasy is a safe place to engage in all of these things without becoming appropriative of other people's experiences to try on in a safe way. What might it feel like to have been through some of these experiences to learn and to, to read and to search out perspectives that, that help enhance the way you're able to inhabit that character? And as a result, you become more empathetic.
1: Yeah, I think empathy is a really important concept. And I think that's another thing we could add to the list of traits that DD fosters.
0: What about as a DM, Nick? Uh, do you feel like that informs how you, how you, because you exist, you know, you're working through these modules that have pre-existing characters. Do you feel like your playing of them sort of leads to that?
2: I mean, I think it can, uh, the real, I don't want to say the real work because there's a lot of real works. Um, so you have all the preparation, but then the main job of the DM, the way I understand it is, you know, um, here's what the, the players wanted to do. Here's where the, the dice landed. And lastly, what are the consequences? And I'm trying to remember. It's on the tip of my uh, memory. So if it comes back later, <laughs> I'll share it. But but there was a time, you know, my my, my players. I can't remember if they left someone behind. Um, you know, it, it was it was intended to be a difficult decision, but the decision they made had consequences where um, either someone died or was captured, and because they instead wanted to like go do some other. Uh, fun thing later. They're like, "Well, what happened to this person?" I'm like, "This is what happened. These are the these are the these are the consequences of of those actions." So it's like a, a way to maybe learn, you know, what what if we do these things, or what if we say these things, or what if we act this way? Um, for me, thinking a lot about like what are the ripples of that, and then you know that just naturally uh, in my own life, once you start thinking that way, oh well, what are some of the other effects of this thing that I did or I said?
1: that's That's interesting, because it brings up one of the uh, one of something we talk about a lot is the difference between intent and impact, where one of the things I think Dungeons and Dragons helps us to practice and to the muscle that we that we work is being aware of how our what we do impacts others. And because we're playing characters, uh, it might not come across as intended because we're not being ourselves necessarily, but we can see the impact on somebody and who's playing also playing a character. Um, and then you think, okay, did what I just say impact the character or the person or both, or how did that work? And we become much more attuned to those different things. The what I intend versus how what I have said is touching that other person's ears and heart.
0: We see this even in, in the you know, specific combat encounters you have to be very specific with what you want your character to do and where you want them to go because I don't know how many times I've not done something or I have done something and then something bad happens I go, oh I, did, I didn't mean to do that or I didn't oh that's not what I meant um teaches me to be very very specific in what I'm trying to accomplish trying to match my impact to my intent so my character doesn't end up getting you know blasted it from a area effect spell or something. Which has happened
1: a fair number
0: of times. Don't cluster.
1: Well, how many times have you guys burned down a manor? Twice, by accidentally now. casting fireballs. At that
0: it? was well. The first time it was my fault. The second time it was Rowan's fault.
1: So uh, there's
2: there's two things. Uh, one of them that might come from I've spent more time in uh, the modules that are published. So the pre, the pre published adventures, which sort of assume. Uh, a theology, even a pantheon. And one of the things that I've actually found has really helped me uh, at church and in faith is uh, so much of our our scripture and some of our canticles that we're familiar with as Episcopalians talk about the God of gods or the God who's different. And it's, it's really easy just to hear that as kind of religious jargon, but in the day it was written uh, people were more, uh, it was more in, in different societies and people living adjacent to each other, there were whole pantheons um, and, and there were multiple gods and they had, um, you know, tempers. And I, I realize I'm, I'm funneling a whole lot into yeah. a very brief description here, but there was the sort of like larger than, um, than human, but not quite what we think of as God in, at least in the, the Christian faith, the way I understand it. And so the DD universe has these characters um, that are superhuman. Uh, so they live in other other dimensions or other realms. They sort of appoint people to be their uh, representative or to do a quest for them. And they're able to sort of dole out power. And what I found is come Sunday morning, we're doing like mechanical 10 right now. Um, and for folks who are not as big Episcopal nerds as we are, that would be Isaiah 55, um, six through nine is the, is the part that I'm talking about. And it's, 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 the, the prophet speaking as God, you know, your ways are not my ways. And just the difference between God and us and sort of having that, that in between spending some time in a fantasy world where there is like another layer of deities, um, hearing those words as, and and our God is actually above all of those, uh, took on uh, an extra depth of meaning for me in a way that I never would have anticipated.
1: Oh, huh, that's really interesting. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that I homebrewed my world was specifically <laughs> so I wouldn't have gods in it. <laughs> right, in, in Suluril. Sulur- <laughs> there are no gods uh, because I was uncomfortable with player characters, you know, praying to mm. fake gods, even though they were pl- praying as a character, not as themselves. It, it was always a little bit too, uh, I don't know.
0: Idolatrous. Yeah,
1: too, a little bit, too, yeah. so, but we did have, there was devotion, there is still, a, you know, there is still religion in the mm-hmm. world. So there's, it's interesting. It's, um, But uh, I remember very specifically writing one of the stories and one of the characters said to the other, you know, I don't know how to pray. And the other character said, "You know how to listen, right?" Hmm. And I thought, "There it is. That's prayer, right there. Uh, you know how to listen. And and if you if you if that's the only thing you ever do when you pray, then you are doing pretty well."
0: So my half orc cleric Kaori, um worshipped the halfling god Yandala, because she was raised by hobbits, and. Yandala is the goddess of like life and fertility, and I basically took that to be. I'm just going to play it as if she was our, you know, as if Yandala was our god, the way I I picture God, and then I made Kaori a very bad evangelist for her, for this god, you know, like <laughs> anyway, all all the all the terrible cliches she liked to spout.
2: So the other thing that I wanted to bring up: how do we use D and D or something like that to really jumpstart the imagination of our churches? Trinity is doing amazing things. We've got a lot of really committed people doing a lot of really good work, and we haven't really imagined yet. I think where God's calling us in a way that's really going to be able to bloom. Um, and I think of, uh, and you know, I, I'm I'm guilty of this too because the bishops ask us, you know, well, if you could do, if you couldn't fail, what would you do? And I'm like. Don't waste my time. But then I turn around and ask my people, if we couldn't fail, <laughs> um, what would we do? And and the truth is, when we're, we're posed with a question like that, I don't think we have the imaginative strength yet to really answer it. Because when I ask that question, even on Zoom, I, I can still hear like Zoom crickets going and, you know, everyone's face just kind of glazes over. There's, there's a, I think there's still some imaginative work to be done by the faithful in church.
1: I, I have trouble with the question if you couldn't fail, what would you do? Because it almost feels to me like the Miss America pageant question about, you know, world world peace. peace. Yeah. Uh, There isn't enough sort of stepwise motion in that question. I I have trouble with the concepts of like big, hairy, awesome goals. Because when I went to Credo, uh, which is a thing that the the Episcopal Church uh, does for, for clergy to help them understand the vocation, <laughs> um, and their pension. <laughs> Mostly about the pension. Mostly I pension. Gone yet. Uh, But but one of the things you do in that in that uh, retreat is develop a big hairy, Awesome goal, uh, and I did mine, and it was write another book. And this was back in twenty sixteen, I think, and at that point my children were about two years old and i spent a couple hours lining out this whole thing about the first two years of of fatherhood and and how uh you know what what could i say about that from a theological perspective and all this stuff and i wrote out this whole outline and i was really excited about it and then i got home from this retreat and i started writing this the book and i wrote about mm, four or five thousand words and i got to the end of those four or five thousand words and i was like Oh, I wrote the parts that I was excited about. Oh no! And I'm not all that excited about the rest. So what do I do? I have this big, hairy, awesome goal. I, I, I've got to, i got to, I've got to accomplish this, this goal, you know. And a couple of weeks later, I started writing the Storm Curtain. Hmm. And so I did it. I did the mm-hmm. goal, which was to write another book. And that book ended up being a novel that i wrote within the fantasy world and i had so much fun writing it and it taught me a lot and i've you know i've talked about the storm curtain a couple of times in this podcast but it's also one of the things that helped me realize that i needed to decenter whiteness in my life because mm-hmm. of the way that i i i was describing the non-white characters and not describing the white characters and and which is exactly what happens in any book written by a white person is that the only characters that they describe the physical attributes of are non-white ones so i i did write this this book and and have i've written several more books but the the writing of those stories was my prayer you know that was one of my spiritual practices one of my spiritual disciplines the way that i en- enter the imagination of god the creativity that improvisation collaboration it all stems from creating this fantasy world which is why i said at the very beginning of this podcast i didn't know why i wasn't doing this my whole life because my life is, is is being a storyteller.
0: So clearly the imaginative work of both writing and playing D&D has paid off for you. I feel like I, I resonate a lot with Nick's question of needing to imagine our way out of the place we are now, because if the only thing we can imagine the church being is the way it looked in the 60s and 70s, we're going to die. I mean, the church the church in it, that particular incarnation is going to die. It's not that God's going to die or the big sea church is going to die, but our, our individual parishes are going to not be viable. And having to imagine a whole new way is, it feels like it's a different, like, why haven't we been doing this the, the last 50 or 60 years? Yeah. Why haven't we been doing that
2: our whole life?
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just
0: playing d d but imagining a new way of being. And I feel like it's been, it's been kind of beaten out of us and taught out of us. We've grown out of the habit and the practice of being imaginative. And so now we're saying, well, what, what would happen if, Trinity Collins still didn't have a building. How, what would we look like? How would we be, how would we be faithful people in our neighborhoods and we don't have the answers yet. Um, I wish maybe more of my vestry played D and D cause perhaps we'd be a little bit closer to finding the answer or finding an answer that's faithful in this moment and moving forward.
1: And not just finding an answer, but understanding a process, engaging those muscles of collaboration, creativity, improvisation and imagination just that's what D&D does so well, is it's training us to be those things, to have those as part as clubs in our bag, you know, to use a golfing, golf en- it's a golf okay. metaphor, <laughs> like, clubs? <laughs> clubs in our bag is a golf metaphor. <laughs> um, and how do we then bring those, those, those uh, elements from our Dungeons and Dragons game into our other interactions? How are we improvisational in a meeting at church or in an encounter on the street? How do we say yes and to uh, what other people uh, offer to us as opposed to shutting down?
2: One example of, of practicing this uh, it was church related when uh, back in March, April, uh, things were closing down. I'm part of this uh, Joining Jesus Project, the spiritual practices side, which was about sort of priming your imagination, really, for where God might be in a random encounter with a random person in the real world. And as things were closing, uh, people were feeling stressed and several people on this this call of, OK, things are closing down. We can't go to the laundromat or we shouldn't go to the laundromat or the bar or the bar and, and have conversations about. with people. Yeah, I not a group that went to a bar. I was really proud of them. We're in this meeting. People were feeling stressed. And what they said was, well, we feel like, you know, the template that we've been given just doesn't work. And I said, hey, guys, what if what if the template, what if the Joining Jesus module that we're working through right now is like a DD game where the module and the instructions, it actually isn't an end to itself, it's a place for us to start. And then the real thing that we're trying to do is this conversation that we're having right now and, and how we can sort of keep these things going. And um, I don't know if I changed anyone else's mind, but I felt like there was a change in direction <laughs> um after that and just, you know, we're so used to thinking about uh processes and, you know, the right way to do things and figuring out the right way to do things. In in D and D we experience this, especially as DMs, you do all this prep work, but you reach a point, it's like, let's play a game together. Something cool usually comes out of that.
1: Yeah. And then, and then you find yourself describing a decrepit area of the city and you have a little girl try to steal from one of the players and then they end up adopting her.
0: The A team adopted a child.
1: Well, they didn't really adopt her. They, they got her a we job. They housed though. her. They housed yeah, her and got her a job. Found her
0: employment. But it was
1: an element of description. That's all it was supposed mm-hmm. to be. And then the players took it and they said, there's this little girl in need. Let's do something. And I don't know if that would change somebody's outlook on poverty in the real world, there's only one way that it could change it, which is to make them more aware of inequality in the real world if they have that encounter in an imaginative space uh, where they can make a choice that they probably wouldn't have made in the real world, but they might now, or a choice like it. And I think that when we engage our imaginations like that, these things that place us into that image of God, we are so much more expansive than we are when we aren't engaging that faculty.
0: And every, every game of D&D therefore is, is an invitation. All, all the DMs do is co- constantly create invitations for the players to engage in. I think a lot of the work of a priest is to do that as well, to open the door and say, you can step on in, um, be creative, be trust trusting, vulnerable, that's our, our job is not to guide them directly or to give them too much, um, but to to open the space, a safe space for people to be and to grow in their faith as well.
1: And isn't that also what God does is offer invitations over and over and over again, inviting us into new ways of being, into new spaces in as we partner with God and with each other in collaborative effort to bring God's reign closer to earth. So we don't have Harry Potter today. So I'll just say that uh, we have one more episode of the third season of the podcast for Nerdy Christians after today, and that another is another trivia a, battle. <laughs> another trivia battle between me and Carrie. Look, uh, look forward to that uh, soon. And uh, in the meantime, thank you very much, Nick, for thank being you, with Nick. us today and giving us a lot of your insights as a player and dungeon master of Dungeons and Dragons and as a priest of the church.
0: And as an awesome husband.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, just, I
2: just wanted to say, uh, you know, thank you so much for having me, not just on your show, but to be part of this conversation. Um, You know, this is a topic, the intersection of creativity and D&D, which we think of as being not religious, um, but how it could actually really bolster faith and make us more faithful people of God. Um, is is uh, a question that I continue to turn over and I'm probably in the early stages um, of of asking that and exploring that. So, so to be able to kind of come on here and, and sort of uh, explore a little bit of that with you guys has really been a delight to me.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks again. And thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians. You can find us at nerdychristians.com or on social media facebook.com slash nerdy christians and on twitter at nerdy christians you can find me on twitter at rev adam thomas or on my brand new website AdamThomas.net. check out seven of shadow the final volume of the fantasy series of shields of suleril on amazon as well as all the other books that take place in that same world you can always find both carrie and me right here on the next episode of the podcast for nerdy christians
0: God's first actions in our world were that of creation. And in being made in God's image, we each have a divine spark in us. When we are being creative, we are engaging with the God in us. As you and your companions gather to game together, you build trust and joy in one another, which God delights in. May God bless you, your adventuring parties, your DMs, your minis, and your dice. May you always roll nat 20s when they make the story more interesting. Amen.